This is the Common Sense Podcast presented by Tamar. I'm your host, Tamar Weinberg, founder and CEO of Tamar, and I will be talking to people of all walks of life who have suffered adversity and overcome to rise above the ashes and now make self-care and wellness an absolute priority. Hey, everybody. I am so excited. I have Nigel Asinugo here. I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, Nigel Sinigo, but oh, I, I get well that all then. the time. I, it's a hard name. To pronounce all right. So. All right. Maybe we should start over again. <laughs> or you know what? Yeah, but you, if you get it all the time, we're going we're gonna to make it natural. So Nigel Asinigo. There you go. Right? Yep. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Just making sure because I'm going to, you know, you need, yeah, I get, I get Tamar. I get Tamar. And I get Tamar sometimes. And that's supposed to be, that's how you pronounce it. So just so you know. Oh. Yeah. So. I, uh, Nigel is here from, he's he's on the other coast, but it was interesting when we were trying to schedule this. You know, this is noon. We're, right now it's noon Eastern. It's 9 a.m. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're going to join me in your pajamas. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm going to be at work already. So <laughs> so thanks for joining. Where are you? Talk about that. Tell me a little bit about that. So right now I'm in the United States Navy. I'm stationed in uh, Coronado, California, um, just outside of San Diego at a helicopter squadron. So it's kind of a combat helicopter squadron. It's actually called Naval Air Station North Island or a NASNI for short. Sweet, sweet. And you're up early, so you told me. Yeah, so I get up uh, around 3.30 in the morning. I you know, take my supplements. I kind of get like a tiny bit of calories in. And then I go out for usually an eight to 10 mile run, depending on the day and how I'm feeling, training plan and everything. After that, I'm usually done about six o'clock, maybe 6.30 if it goes on longer. And then I get ready, get it to work by about 7.15. And then I start work at 7.30 and don't get off until about 6 p.m. So pretty long day. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So I want to talk about that because, you know, so we met in the David Goggins Facebook group. I've had a few people from the group there, but it was more of a call to action. I said, Hey, you know, this is, I know that this is a group where people embody these, this overcoming adversity and they're really inspired by David Goggins, but you are a little bit different in the sense that you posted this before and after photo, you have this story, which you're going to share. And you really like, it was a lot more inspiring. I've had people in this, in the podcast in the past, they had no idea what they were doing when they signed up, but it was sort of the opposite. So you like, I had the call to action, like, oh yeah, sure, let me join. But they had no idea what they're doing. And then the opposite, right. it's like you're like, you know, I already have something to share. You know, some there has been there have been past podcasts where I have to like coax like the storyline out, and I'm like, oh my god, this is so hard. It's like pulling teeth, but you know, it's just the the opposite. So tell me a little bit about because so David Goggins, for those who know, he is a Navy guy. He's very in, integrated into into that. Does your story parallel that? Was it inspired by him? Because I like, give me a little bit about that background without giving into your story of adversity, which we'll get to soon. Yeah. So I was kind of already on my never quit type of story. I kind of just found David Goggins through, I'm sure what a lot of people find him through, like, you know, YouTube or Facebook groups or whatever. I was already kind of starting my journey when I found him. And, you know, I was looking for all types of motivation or like people I could kind of, you know, parallel the story I was going through. And somehow I just, I found some motivational video that, you know, he wasn't even the main part of it. He kind of was just a part of this compilation of motivational guys and girls. You know, I'm like, who the hell is this light skinned guy who kind of looks like it's kind of weird, but he almost like looked like me. And, you know, upon further investigation into who he was, I was like, holy, holy, you know, holy crap. This dude is damn near doing or damn near did what I'm trying to do right now. So <laughs> it was a complete shot in the dark, stroke of luck type of deal. But yeah, I kind of found him during my journey. Awesome. Awesome. 
So I guess that is probably a good foray into telling me a little bit more about that and sharing that story. Yeah. So do you want me to start from kind of the beginning or kind of like where the pivotal moment happened in my life? Because it honestly started from when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. You know, actually, I learned about David not through YouTube and not through podcasts. Like a past mm-hmm. guy's like, oh, I listened to him on Seth, uh, uh, Seth, the, the Joe Rogan show. And, right. and I'm like, yeah, I did it. <laughs> I read the book. <laughs> and he does talk about how he... Like he kind of shows, establishes how he was been, he's been through abuse, abusive stuff. And then obviously the pivotal moment became like a massive thing. And that really is the latter. That's like probably 80% of the book, but you know, there is a foundation that comes to, to kind of establishing why you need to kind of needed that adversity. It builds up to the adversity, if you will. So yes, by all means. So yeah, when I was a kid, my father, I wouldn't say he was abusive. He was just a really hard guy. You know, I was always fat as a kid. And and when I say fat, I don't mean like, you know, chubby. I mean, I was like 220 pounds at 10, you know, like one of those kids and um, no athletic ability, you know, bullied by pretty much everyone at school. You know, I had a very select group of friends. And so I kind of became an introvert and kind of just tried to hide behind my size and act like I was a big tough guy and kind of shielded myself from the world. And I was just super insecure and really had no motivation. My dad was in and out of prison and mom was a single mom because of that. They were divorced at a young age at about nine years old. And so throughout my childhood and into middle school and high school, I really didn't know you know, who to trust or you know, I didn't really have my dad in my life the way I wanted to. And it's hard for a mother to raise a son to be a man. It it just is. There's different uh, tries in life and everything else. So, you know, I always just kind of, you know, stuck to myself and kind of moved in silence and, and didn't really try to aspire to be anything. I just wanted to be left alone in a way. And going throughout life like that, it was just a very like lonely existence. You know, I started developing depression at a young age and this carried through high school and everything else started doing drugs, started out with weed in high school, like most kids do, you know, alcohol here and there, which I didn't even like, because I was already depressed. And you know, it's a depressant, etc. So, you know, after graduating high school, I didn't really have anything going on, just work job to job, I would get fired, because you know, I had this anger. And you know, I would, I would argue with all my bosses about nothing. And I was just a very defensive, insecure, angry guy. And uh, I didn't really know how to channel any of that. Um, yeah, I started doing, you know, cocaine at a certain point, started doing like, you know, acid, MDMA, you know, mush- every psychedelic and every bad, hard drug you could pretty much think of. I pretty much did at one point or another, you know, for several years. And it wasn't until my brother said, you know what, dude, I'll let you live here. But, you know, you're going to have to pay rent. You're going to have to basically I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss on the podcast. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. He basically said, you need to get your, you know, your shit together because I'm not living with a fat loser. I don't want that around me. My brother kind of had a similar story, but he kind of sacked it up and dealt with his problems in a different way. And I had never seen that before. You know, my brother almost became like a father figure because I didn't really trust my dad. And, you know, so I was like, okay, you know, I can, my brother can, you know, help me find a way to overcome everything I'm going through mentally and physically. So he helped me lose a lot of weight. He kind of put me on a better path. And then after me and him kind of went our separate ways, 
he wanted to move into a new place. I said, you know what? I want to do my own thing. I thought I had my crap together and I didn't. That was the biggest, dumbest thing I ever thought, you know, because my brother was pretty much my only reason for being disciplined. And, you know, Goggins will talk all the time about, you know, motivation is crap. It comes and goes, you know, if you, you got to have drive. Yeah. And I didn't have that at all. You know, I was just one of those dudes who, if you were there to make me do it, I'll do it. I didn't want to be judged. <laughs> you know, I didn't want my brother to tell me, hey, man, you know, you're a piece of crap. And so I kind of did it just to appease him. And once we moved out, or once I moved out, once we separated, you know, I went right back to doing drugs again. And I went from, I think I was 250 pounds at the time. Um, I'm 6'2". I was about 250 at the time in great shape, running every day and lifting weights and all that crap and just did the complete opposite and got all the way back up to about 435 pounds. Wow. And yeah, in a, in a matter of about a year and a half, lost all motivation, got into a toxic relationship that lasted very long. You know, I was equally as responsible as she was. We were just not good. It went into such a dark place mentally that the brain will actually try to forget a lot of the trauma that it's been put through. And it's almost hard for you to, to even recall some of the stuff that's happened because it's so traumatic Yeah, that it's such a blur. And even now I'm like racking my brain trying to put everything together chronologically. But, you know, it was a matter of about two and a half years in total from when I moved out from my brothers to uh, the end of this you know, relationship, terrible relationship I had that uh, I finally, you know, I was suicidal the entire time during this relationship. I had no motivation. I was a prep cook at a Mexican restaurant. Basically, this all came to a head where one night I was having a panic attack. I'd just broken up with my girlfriend at the time. I was sitting on the edge of my bed. I'm crying. I don't know. You know, I can't breathe. And, you know, I'm, I'm damn near suffocating. And I had this weird uh, hallucination, basically, where I'm looking around my room and all I can see is clouds all over the ground. And I know that sounds like, you know, when I tell people that, like, dude, like, what, what the, are you sure no. you're awake? And <laughs> no, no, I'm I like, understand. yeah, I, I kind of hear awake, you. Unfortunately, you know. Yeah, it's like seeing stars. I get it. I get it. Totally. Exactly. So I'm looking around the room and all I could see was clouds on the ground and I see a light. It was like my room was a hundred feet long from 10 feet to a hundred feet in a matter of seconds. And I see a light and I'm like, you know, I don't know what the hell is going on. You know, I'm, I'm just kind of in the moment. All I could hear was end it. It'll be easy. End it. And there's a voice in the back of my head that's telling me this. And at the time I knew, you know, I'm not a, a proponent of Christianity. Like I, it's for me, but I'm not telling everyone else, you know, this isn't some huge Christian endorsement. Right. Right. But you know, I, felt like Satan was telling me to kill myself. And it was this, it was this internal dialogue, like in the back of my head telling me, end it, end it, it'll be easy. And all of a sudden, you know, I started getting messages on Facebook. I started getting phone calls out of nowhere. Um, my mom calls me, it's three in the morning. You know, my mom calls me and she says, is everything okay? I, I, ha I had this horrible gut feeling. And all these people on Facebook that I hadn't talked to since I was in high school, and I was 24 or 25 at the time, rather, um, all these people started messaging me, asking me if I was okay. And yeah, that was kind of the moment that I decided to turn everything around. 
Wow, wow. I wonder what that was to like have that impact and all these people are just kind of have that concern. Was there anything that precipitated that? Like, did they see, were you broadcasting in a way? Or they just kind of like knew? Wow. (laughs) I I was, I was the most introverted, like, (laughs) I didn't want to talk to anyone. I didn't take pictures. Like, I didn't want anyone to know the complete piece of crap that I was at that time. Like I didn't want to broadcast my failure to the world. I didn't want anyone to, I mean, there was literally no reason why anyone should have contacted me to be honest with you. Yeah. So that's a sign. There you go. Wow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny because you think about it in social media, you know, for a lot of people, their absence is never missed. And I was just having this conversation on a podcast that was published just pretty recently she was talking about her church community and she was like, you know, I've been in, in and out of that community to help me turn my life around. And I said, yeah. you know, I, I've affiliated with religious communities as well. Uh, and mm-hmm. they'll notice when you're gone. But like, if you're on an online community in particular, especially because right yeah. now, you know, the Goggins community, they're not going to know because I'm not really part of anything, but there's a bunch of other communities that I've kind of in, in embraced a couple of running and fitness communities outside of the Goggins community. And mm-hmm. You know, they, they wouldn't know if I'm gone. So the fact that you had that, it's, it's, it's very, very powerful. And evidently, I mean, it's like, you know, seeing that before and after photo that you shared that kind of like, you know, made, was the impetus for me to ask you to be part of this podcast, which I hope I'm going to be able to share also to, to the podcast listeners as part of my show notes. You know, like that was a extreme 180 degree turn. So talk about what you've done to that and how you've helped yourself and what you did to bring yourself into a happier and healthier physical and mental state? Yeah. So it's 3 a.m. at the time. Um, after I'm getting all these messages and, you know, and, and all this, I'm, I'm, I didn't really even think about the significance of all these people messaging me. I just kind of said, you know what, it is what it is. You know, I'm, I'm happy all these people message me, but I didn't understand that something else had to have, you know, been a catalyst to all this or caused it. And, I, you know, I didn't even think about it. So my mom calls me and she says, you know, is everything okay? I felt like something's wrong. You know, I I had this horrible feeling in my stomach and she forced me to, uh, she wasn't there with a gun to my head, but she, she was six hours away at the time. And she said, look, I am going to pray with you right now. And I need you to say these words with me. She pretty much saved my life. She made me pray with her for about a minute or two. It wasn't any of this, you know, holy, you know, speaking in tongues crap or any of that. It was just you know, God, I trust you. I surrender everything, you know, that type of deal. So I said, all right, you know, I'm not with this religion crap. I was not religious at the time at all. You know, pretty much hated God for everything in my life. I was like, man, there's a God. He has not been looking out for me, you know? So I was bitter. And she said, you know what? I want you out of that house. I want you out of that area. I'm going to let you live here for six months and we'll see what you do. But I'm letting you know, right, I had burned so many bridges with her. You know, I, I had, she had given me money and I completely crapped on her. You know, I, I just treated her like garbage. I treated everyone in my life like they were just disposable. I mean, I was the most ungrateful piece of crap that you could probably ever imagine. And, and anyone else would have just said, you know what, screw this dude. He's a lost cause mm-hmm. and just kind of hope for the best. Right. But she did it. She, she never gave up on me and she let me come live there about six hours away from where I was. So she went, she picked me up at the time. I didn't have a car. I didn't have anything, had no money. And she drove me back and said, look, dude, you you know, I, I, 
sympathize for you. I love you. You're my son, but I'm giving you six months to figure this out or you're going to be wherever the hell you are at the time. Yeah. And I was like, all right, man. Well, uh, this is my moment. I have to figure something out. You know, I didn't want to do anything. You know, I, I had to give up every drug that I was on at the time, which was, you know, Coke, weed, I mean, everything. I had to become completely sober. No cigarettes, which I smoked a pack a day at the time. And I just started running 10 miles every single day. I'd run six and a half in the morning, three and a half in the evening. I started going to local recruiters around my area because I knew that, you know, I had such horrible job history. No one would even want to give me a second look. And there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity in the, in the town that I lived at the time. So, you know, I'm going to all these different army recruiters, Navy guys, and, you know, every recruiter you can imagine in the area. And they honestly, this, this is where it resonates with me with Goggins because I was a fat dude. I mean, I was still, you know, I had really tried to start losing weight. I lost about 90 pounds and shoot less than two months. I mean, I, I, I was like, you know, completely obsessed with fitness. That's all I cared about. Wow. Um, I was eating next to nothing. I mean, I was eating about 800 calories a day and running 10 miles. Yeah, that's uh, just for those who know, like that's like burning 2,000 calories <laughs> or more. Right. Yeah. Two or 3,000 so, calories. Yeah. And, and at that weight and um, as a male, as a male. Right. Um, and I was a big dude. And at first I started, you know, all right, I'm going to start lifting weights and running and I'm going to do this. I had a Marine buddy of mine who actually took his life. Um, he said, hey, man, when all this started, he had contacted me and said, hey, man, I see you're doing good things. Let's go on a run. And I'm like, dude, what? <laughs> you know? I'm like, uh, going to run. It's like, all right, let's there's this hill that's about a mile near my house. He said, hey, man, no, it's, let's go on a run. And I was like, uh, all right, because, you know, I was doing cardio at the time, but I, was, I started slow. Yeah. Um, didn't do hills. So me and him ran up this hill. And I'll, I was almost dead. I mean, like my heart rate is like 190. Yeah, I was going to um, ask you how you first started to run like that because it's not easy to do. Yeah, I, I didn't. So I, <laughs> I jogged, right? And this dude's like, hey, man, like, let's go. Uh, keep my pace. Don't stop. So I'm going foot, you know, step by step. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. Yeah. You know, like literally, I was like, my chest hurts. You know, we get back and you could see in this dude's face, like he was like, damn, dude, this guy's got a lot of, you know, he's got a lot of work to do. Holy shit. You know, not not more than I think three days after that, he took his own life. Wow. Um, I had no idea what he was, you know, what he was dealing with at the time. I reached out to him. You know, it was kind of one of those situations where I was like, oh, great. Somebody's showing me how to do something. As long as they're there, I'll do it. Right. And, you know, I had that accountability. And now this guy's gone. Yeah, and that's know, hard. And it's like that that's his last giving moment to the world and he really he did something to you. Exactly. Man, him taking his life, I was like, I didn't want to keep running. I didn't want to do any of this crap. And I was like, you know what, man? I can figure this out. Yeah. So I mean, what I did was probably some of the dumbest crap. And this is why I relate to Goggins, man. He didn't know what the hell he was doing. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> you know, it was I was put in a situation where I had nothing. And I had not a lot of time and I just decided I'm going to do whatever the hell it takes. I don't care if it's smart. I don't care if I get hurt. And so anyways, I, I started running six and a half miles in the morning at, you know, over 300 pounds. I mean, I had stress fractures. I had all types of issues where it would take 45 minutes just for my legs 
to basically to not feel anything anymore. Right. It literally felt like I was breaking my damn legs. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I would lay around on my bed and I'm like, you know, I have no energy to even get up. I would, all I would do is drink water, take these B vitamins and say, you know what? I'll figure it out and I'll go on my three and a half at night. You know, I would have hunger for, for dinner or I would sleep for dinner or whatever they call that. And yeah, I, I did that for several months. Uh, went back to the uh, naval recruiter. He was the only person who was like, hey, man, look, you know, we'll see what we can do. You're still way overweight. But, uh, you know, hopefully if you can keep on losing weight and you can figure this out, then uh, we can get you in. We can rope and choke you. We'll, we'll figure it out. And so, yeah, essentially, I just I, I stayed on that path. I had a broken leg when I was 19 that was giving me a lot of complications on getting in. You know, they had to do this exam and basically see if I was fit because they don't want you to be a big liability once you get in. Right, right. Uh, from running as much as I was running and not stretching and not, you know, wearing compression or any of that crap, I went to the orthopedic and I said, hey, man, I need a paper from you that says that I'm okay to run and do all these different things that the Navy's expecting of me. And the guy said, all right, man, well, it's, you know, we'll have to do an x-ray. We'll have to do all this stuff. And in the x-ray, I refractured my right fibula, not knowing, you know, I'm just like, hey, you know, it's supposed to hurt, whatever. You know, I don't, I didn't, I never ran in my entire life. So I'm thinking this is just shin splints. And I'm like, I'm all good. If I just keep running, you know, I'll make it in eventually. The guy said, dude, you're screwed. I said, all right, man, well, all I need is your signature. And I think he saw the passion in my face, like, I'm literally willing to die to get into the military. And uh, he wrote that I was fit. Uh, wow. He didn't include the x-rays. I never sent the x-rays off. And by the skin of my teeth, you know, I went back up to MEPS, Military Entrance Processing Station, I believe, is what the acronym is. You know, two hours from where I lived at the time, I went up several times and kept getting sent back. And, you know, waivers kept getting sent back and forth. And my recruiters in contact with them. Basically, what happened was the guy... He found out I was Nigerian. The guy who was the uh, the chief, the CMO, the chief medical officer at the time of MEPS said, all right, man, well, look, you know, I don't think you're clear to go in. You know, he, he did all this test on my ankle and, uh, and my leg on, you know, dexterity and things like that. He said, man, I don't think you're good. And then he looks at my name because everyone's got a name tag. And he says, oh, Asanugo. Oh, OK. Oh, oh, oh OK. You know, and he, all of a sudden he warms up to me. <laughs> so he's like. Uh, <laughs> This complete stroke of luck that the guy was Nigerian. He said, all right, man, well, look, you're, you're good to go. And so I got into the Navy. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. That's a great story. If you really like I'm seeing I hear it like if you haven't spoken at Goggins and had this chat with him, like I feel like you guys would be perfect for like some sort of like cough talk. Because you guys yeah. are like, like, I feel like I'm talking to a mini Goggins here. <laughs> like You have a very similar story running on stress factors, getting in, pushing, you know, finding that stroke of luck that puts you forth. And then you talked about, you know, how you've been like an ultra runner and you've done some pretty extreme things. Yeah. That, that kind of came later. And yeah, the whole, the whole Goggins thing, you know, I genuinely have no freaking clue. Like it, it's, it's almost bizarre. And I've met people like in my town, everyone would see me running with his pack on, you know, I'm like drinking no water. I'm, and you know, the whole like peeing blood down his leg, the crazy thing is, is like, you know, I got back from a 10 mile run one day and, you know, I'm dehydrating myself purposely to make weight. 
And, you know, I got back from a run one day and, you know, it's not like his hundred mile story, you know, not, none of that, you know, I'm not that kind of badass. <laughs> yeah. He's literally a different breed, but, you know, I, I related to it so much because, you know, I've peed blood down my leg. You know, I've been dehydrated. I've had borderline, uh, you know, kidney failure and, and, and all this different stuff. And, you know, I've, I've had a learning disability where, you know, when I was in school, they were like, you know, this dude can't pay attention. He's a class clown. He, you know, he's getting such bad grades. They tried to put me in a special ed class. Right. So, you know, there's so many different ways I relate. It, it was kind of just bizarre. Yeah. I wonder how many people are like that out there. I mean, I always thought that, you know, he's got to be crazy to have to write a book about it. <laughs> like you're like telling the story about it. You know, there must be a lot of crazy people out there like you guys. <laughs> yeah. One thing that I related to a lot was he always said Scratch became his best friend and that, you know, he's not one of those guys that wants to do what he does. And people put a label on him like, man, this guy's insane. He's evil. He's crazy. And I'm like, dude, People think because kind of where I came from to get where I am now, they think or, or you know, they, you know, all the people at work, you know, I, I ran a, uh, I did 20 miles this past Wednesday on a work day coming to work and people are like, oh, man, I saw your post on Instagram. Oh, dude, you're you're nuts. or you're crazy. And I was like, dude, I don't think you understand. Like, to me, that shit is the only way that I can get that voice in my own head to shut the hell up. Yeah. That tells me that, you know, I'm going back to what I was like, I'm constantly fighting who I was every single day. And it's not easy. You know, people, people will kind of think that you've got something they ain't got. It's like, nah, bro, I fucking struggle every day just to wake up and shower and eat. You know, I think depression is a mixture of a lot. I mean, it's external, it's internal. It's a, it's a lot of different scenarios that kind of culminate that depressive mindset. But I think I got tougher. I don't really think my depression necessarily went away because if my situation changes, I know how to fight that voice now. Right. Yeah. But I still think it's, it's crazy it's, and insane, but it pushes you. It's, it's your propeller forward. Right. Exactly. Like what he says, like, you know, fighting pain with pain. I, I fight the pain I feel every day, knowing that I did come from what I came from and that I am where I am now. Like the pain of knowing that I could go back to that every moment or the feeling of, man, just give up, dude. It, it ain't that serious. You don't have to run. You don't have to push yourself like this. Yeah. You know, I fight that voice with, nah, dude, like I tell my brain, shut the hell up. We're going on this run, whether you like it or not. And then eventually my brain realizes this crazy psychopath is not going to let me quit. Right. You know, it, it is what it is. So it's a daily struggle for sure. Yeah, it's like a fight against depression. Like, you know, a lot of what you were saying before, you know, you were at jobs and you were fighting and you had like this disposition that was like you created your own drama and you went through all that hell. But at the end of the day, it's really that's a reflection of the inner turmoil that we have, like being depressed. Right. My friend would always say to me, you always have so much drama going on in your life. And I was like, yeah, yeah. it's so cool. I love the drama. But, you know, now that I'm yeah. looking past it and I'm beyond my depression, I'm like, that drama was honestly, it was a freaking, I was a tempest. I was, I was a freaking loose cannon and I was creating drama when I didn't have to. I could have just been relaxed and chill and take, responded to things differently. And it's, it's, it's a, like, if you're seeing that kind of stuff in your life, it's because you're, you're broken. So anybody like, and I'm sorry, I say that for anybody who's listening, who thinks otherwise, but like, 
I mean, like I worked remotely. I'm not even around people and I'm having fights with people. And what's that? Because <laughs> of the way I responded, I re- my reaction. I also have yep. to, I want to, I want to, this is a completely unrelated thing, but I have to throw a disclaimer in here because, you know, David Goggins, I don't think it was in his book, but I want to make sure kids do not try this at home kind of thing. <laughs> I have to make sure to add that yeah. disclaimer because this is extreme stuff. But at the same time, like, I don't know if I could ever push myself to those extremes, but I, you know, I'm glad that I'm pushing myself to extremes that are within my healthy range. Like, I don't think I could ever run up a hill at, you know, with no practice whatsoever at, and, and maintain that and eating 800 calories a day and then burning, you know, 6,000 calories a day. It doesn't jive and it's not something you can do and <laughs> survive off of. So you and Goggins are absolutely like, you know, you are literally pushing the limits. I'm sure, like I said, there are people who are like you, who are in your, your posse here, who have done this. There are probably people who have, who are in that posse who haven't made it. So I have to kind of throw that disclaimer out there. Yeah. I agree. You know, unless you are kind of putting it into a position where you have to do something like that. No one really knows what they can do until they're in a position where they have to. And it's, and it's, and it's kind of, it kind of goes back to where, you know, that, that common story of the mother who lifts an entire damn vehicle to save her kids. I'm sure that mom on a regular day, on a sunny day at the beach, you know, someone put a car in front of her, she ain't lifting that damn car. (laughs) But as soon as she sees, oh shit, you know, my kids are there. I don't have a choice right now. You know, the, the, the body and the mind are just unstoppable. That's something that like all, all of people at work or whoever, and they'll be like, man, I cannot run this many miles. And I was like, really? Because I put a rabid dog behind you. And I told you your entire family is about to get shot in the face. You're telling me you can figure it out. I was like, exactly. You don't say you can't. It's more like I'm unwilling to. It's scary. That's, that's the issue. Like, you know, right. the, the Goggins philosophy is that your mind and body are not connected. Your mind is, is telling you that you have to ignore what your body's saying. Right. That's scary AF. It's so scary because <laughs> you could literally die. Yes, a rabbit dog will be behind you. You might have to let the rabbit dog fight you because the alternative would be either rabies or death. I mean, so, right. you know, I get it. I get it. I think it's amazing and I think it's super inspiring and I'm not diminishing the power of that. It's just... Like I've already had maybe like five or six people on the podcast who have come to that point, have done things to an extreme. I think you're definitely like a mini David Goggins and they're, they're all, they're all, they're like fanboys. So like, you're like, you really, you have this going on here. I mean, you know, there is a difference, but, and I talk about it and I'm like, yeah, he's crazy, but he's inspiring. The fact is that he's telling you that it is possible if you think, if you will it to be possible, but you know, yeah, you are kind of sort of still physically constrained and listen to your body, but don't listen to your body to the point that like the body is limiting you, is stopping you earlier than you need to be stopped. You just don't have to push way too much, push enough right. that you're overcoming your limits. And it's, it really is all in your head. I completely agree with you to, to an extent, like you can push your mind any day of the week, but how much is that going to affect your body? And it really comes down to how much am I willing to push my body using my mind? You know, right. what, like, what am I getting out of this? I was, you know, I, I literally was in such a screwed up place mentally my entire life. Like, I'm willing to do things that would hurt my body in order to achieve the mental clarity and the mental fortitude that I get 
from running stupid amounts, you know, like for instance, I had never run a marathon before, you know, and this is kind of ties into the mini Goggins thing. And it's kind of crazy, you know, I, cause I've had so many people, Oh dude, you're just like, I was like, I ain't like him, bro. I'm like <laughs> way toned down, but I understand his, his mindset. But, you know, I, I'd never run a marathon before. I'd run a lot of like half marathons and, you know, little, you know, 10 miles, 13, even 15, I think at one point was my longest. I can go into a million different stories, but, you know, we've already, we're already about 40 minutes in. Um, I'm one of those dudes who, if I'm not all in, I'm all out. And I've gone through a lot of stages like that, even in the military, where, you know, I'll gain 30 pounds and lose 30 pounds or 40, even 50 at, at, at certain points. And I've lost it all. And, you know, I'm, I'm back and forth all the time on this. And, you know, one weekend, I wasn't training at all for running. You know, I had a pretty bad injury. And I said, you know what, I'm going to take a couple months off. Wasn't training. You know, I I'd, I'd maybe ran like, you know, three, four miles, two or three times a week. And I was like, you know what, screw it, dude. Tomorrow, I'm gonna run a damn ultra marathon. No training. And I was like, you know what, I'm gonna just bring, you know, a couple like honey stinger waffles and you know, a camelback and see what I can do. Ran 31 miles the next day, 31.2, which is a, you know, technically an ultra it's, you know, the very low end of the spectrum. It goes to show you like, man, whatever the hell I'm willing to do, like if, if you're willing to die to achieve your goals to anyone listening, like you'll be so freaking surprised what you can do. And the sure. if you just change your mindset and sure your legs might be screwed up, you know, everything might be screwed up, but that satisfaction is something that's never going away. Yeah. You know, no one can ever say I didn't run 31 miles. No one can ever say I didn't do something that most people couldn't do. So is it stupid at the time? Sure. It, it, you know, it's, it, it screws you up physically, but I mean, it's, it's hard to even describe like how much pride I have that I've done some of the things that I have because I was just simply willing to go there. Yeah. So That's awesome. Yeah, I will tell you, November, you know, seeing that everybody was doing the virtual marathon, I'm like, oh, yeah, I could do that. Mind you, the most I've ever run was uh, a 10K. <laughs> but I ended up I ended up realizing by like mile eight or nine, having run and I was, you know, I, I do I do intervals. So it's running and walking and running and walking. By mile eight or nine, I, I couldn't really do the running anymore. So I was pretty much walking. I, you know, I, like I wasn't prepared for this. It was just like one day I'm like, oh yeah, let me do it. <laughs> and it, like, just like yeah. you, I made sure to push for a half, but then I was like, yeah, that's it. And I mean, I couldn't walk for like three days afterwards, but the fact is that I could say that I did it. And I also, you realize there's something, yeah. something people need to realize is, you know, it might be easier to run at that point. <laughs> it's not as easy to walk to get your last five miles in. Let me tell you that. <laughs> exactly. Just yeah. get it the hell over with. <laughs> yeah. You, your body doesn't want to walk that slow and your legs definitely don't want you to walk that slow. So that's as much right. as I've ever done. Um, all right. So let me ask you, because you, you, you talked about running. You talk, like, is that, is that like your focus, your self-care regimen is, is on running? What's, what's your self-care looking like? Yeah. So my self-care is kind of more geared towards... Um, not having to run. <laughs> I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive in a way. No, not really. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I dealt with depression and, and so many, you know, anxiety and everything for so long that, you know, I used running as a crutch. I used it as something that could give me pride. You know, people at the command that I'm at now will tell you when I first got to the command I'm at, where I'm stationed, I was the most angry, like sick, just. I mean, I had so many chips on my shoulders and I felt like everyone was a weak bitch if they weren't doing what I was doing. 
you know, I was like, man, this is the, this is the military. You guys are soft. Like you guys aren't doing what I'm doing. And, you know, I, I came to realize that there's always some bigger, badder human being on the planet. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where the hell you're at. It doesn't matter anything. Everyone has their limit. Everyone has their, their perceived limit. Everyone has physical limits, mental limits, whatever it is. And, you know, my entire mindset now is to lose my ego. Yeah. I do definitely like running. I think it helps push me mentally, but I don't want to base my entire kind of self-care or my, you know, my mental strength or, you know, my sense of self-worth or anything in that. So I kind of now just base it in treating people kindly, trying to understand everyone else's point of view. To be honest, I don't really have a a self-care routine because I kind of look at my entire life as kind of a self-care routine. You know, just in the way that I treat people, I, I look at treating other people fairly and, you know, not 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 having an ego as as self-care for me, because that helps me get myself in check as well. So it's kind of a daily it's it's yeah, it's I mean it's a twenty four hour uh, self-care routine, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, no, I like that. It's hard for some people to differentiate because they want to wake up and literally that's everything that they're doing. It's, it's self-care. Right. So it's nice to hear that because it, like I said, it, it, I would say it's hard for people to, to, to live there, to conduct themselves in that way. And I mean, just seeing how, how far you've come and what you're doing and the way you're like communicating about love and, and hope for so many people, it's, it's, it's really, it's really empowering and inspiring. And I do hope that people come and, and, and share their stories with you and, and come to you for, you know, like you could totally, you could be the, like I said, <laughs> I want to say the little David Goggins, although I'm not sure you are, you know, but, but. He, I don't know if he, he's even in that group. I think everybody's just kind of there and they don't even know if he's physically present. You could be the one yeah. who stands up and kind of does that. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I try, you know, I try, I try very hard to, to be there for anybody in my life where I see they're struggling. You know, and it's crazy when, you're, when you've gone through a bunch of kind of like hard shit in your life and you meet someone else who has also been through a lot of hard shit you can almost see it without even having to talk to them. There's a look in some people's eyes and, you know, we're very social creatures. So we pick up on it and, you know, people in that group, man, I have seen, I mean, you look at their eyes when they'll post the selfie or something and, you know, look past that smile and you're like, holy shit, this person has been through it. And, you know, there's also some people where you'd never know and they hide behind a perfect smile or, you know, you put them in a box. So I'm just trying to live, you know, and be in a place where I'm not putting people in a box and where I can, you know, I can share with them and we can share with each other and there's no judgment or any of that. So that's kind of just kind of how I'm living my life now is to try to talk to people, even people at work or people I've never met and just, just fucking talk to them like a regular human being. That's what that, I mean, I think that's what we're missing these days is just treating everyone like they're who they are and not yeah. who we want them to be, you know, so. Yeah, it's hard. And you know, you know, it's really sad. I have a I have a good friend who I could tell like she she's on the I don't want to say the nerdier side, but she would like it looks like she's been through a lot. And I think she was probably bullied a lot. And literally everything I do and the way I communicate with her is seriously like killing with kindness. But because of the way she was raised, I think without knowing without asking, 
She right. She's very defensive in her responses, probably because she doesn't think that there is ever anybody who's going to be giving of themselves in such a way. And yeah. it's really, it's, it's almost sad. People don't expect that. People don't expect, you know, like, like I know how to potentially get through her head. I know that, you know, if she wasn't thinking about ulterior, like somebody having an ulterior motive, she would be completely fine with it. But because it's like, it's a product of, it's a function of how she's, you know, how she's kind of been brought into the world. And it's, it's crazy. It's crazy stories. And it is. And that's, that's another thing is, you know, like that mental toughness, that's not just running, you know, there's, you know, all types of athletes in the world and people are busting their ass every day and really putting themselves out there, challenging their bodies and, you know, mind and everything else. But sometimes it's doing what you did. You know, it's just stepping outside of yourself, even when you might be having a really jacked up day and just walking up to someone and being like, hey, man, are you okay? I've had days where I'm feeling like garbage. And, you know, I had a friend who's an alcoholic and, you know, he's in uh, rehab right now. He's also, he's a fellow sailor of mine. You know, I go through depression every single day. You know, I'm, I wouldn't even say I've overcome depression 100%. I'm just, yeah. You know, I just kind of walk through my day and I figure it out and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to find whatever light that there is. And that's just kind of, it is what it is. And, you know, I think mental strength a lot of times is when you can just step outside of yourself and be there for someone else. Like, you know, your mom or dad or sister, cousin, whoever dies. And at the funeral, you decide I'm going to be the strongest person here and I'm going to hold everyone together. And just having that presence of mind in everyday situations, I think, is just as hard as running 100 fucking miles for, you know, someone who's not going through anything. But they're like, you know, like mentally, but like, hey, I'm going to strap on these shoes and go do this. They might not be going through what you're going through. So everyone's, you know, overcoming adversity. You know, it's just it's different for everyone. And it doesn't always have to be physical. Yeah. You know, some of the most badass human beings I've ever met are not runners. <laughs> you know, they're oh, yeah. they're not athletic. You know, they're just some tough SOBs and, and they and they, you know, figure it out on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. I totally so, get it. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder if my mental lack of physical fortitude comes from like my mental beating being beaten. It is really hard to like work out and know that I can push myself a little harder. I have a big big fear that's preventing me from probably doing some of the busier things probably because of that you know we're we are a product of our nature and our nurture it really is true yeah 100 percent. so let me ask um you a final question and if you can give nigel an earlier piece of advice what would you tell him oh my god that is a great question yes (laughs) oh man an earlier piece of advice um an earlier version of yourself something something that you can give your an earlier version of yeah an earlier piece of advice would be you are not what other people perceive you as. You are whoever the fuck you want to be. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Cool. So, All right. So let me ask you this other question. You know, now that we're going to, you're going to inspire people to hopefully reach out and talk about your story, where can they find you? Oh man. So I'm on Instagram, uh, N Asinigo. So just, uh, November Alpha Sierra India November Uniform Golf Oscar um, N-A-S-I-N-U-G-O on Instagram and uh, that's basically it <laughs> cool. 
Cool. All right. Um, is there anything else that you think I should? I mean, I think we pretty much covered it. Um, anyone out there who's struggling right now, just know that no matter how dark your life might seem, yesterday doesn't exist. Tomorrow doesn't exist. All that fucking matters is what you do right now. That's it. Nice. So nice. the next decision you make and the decision after that, if you can learn to just live in the moment, make one good decision after the other and not let the future and the past, like they say, anxiety is the future, depression is the past. If you just live in the moment, make one good decision after the other and treat people with respect and treat yourself with respect, there's literally nothing that you cannot do. I love it. I love it. Awesome. Something happened in your audio in the end. By the way, I have no idea what just happened. You like sound like you're only... Plug your mic in better, maybe. I think it's partially out. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Push it uh, in. Push it in. It, it's the same. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm looking at your Instagram and I love all your Garmin. I love all your Garmin. You're being super accountable. I love it. Okay. <laughs> that's all. Yeah, that's all I post pretty much is my, uh, is my, uh, my running stats. So that's about it. <laughs> all right. Well, no, it, it's good. It's good. Okay, cool. So you're going to, when you hear the end of this, it's going to sound a little funky to everybody else who's listening. It's going to be funky. I apologize. So what happens when you get somebody... Who, who, who's got that helicopters overhead. No apologies. This is really fun. Thank you so much. I appreciate you inviting me on. And um, yeah, um, I hope someone can at least, you know, be inspired. I, I um, hope so. the way I'm inspired by the, the posts on Facebook page. So thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely, you definitely have been inspired. And, and by the way, your audio is all better now. <laughs> so you got that. Okay, well, there we go. <laughs> no idea what happened, but you'll, you'll hear it. You'll be like, what? What? But you, you can hear uh, it. The room I was in, everyone's kind of running back and forth, doing a whole bunch of maintenance right now. So okay. I'm trying to be as uh, incognito as I can. So all right, well I'll let you get to it. If you like the Common Sense Podcast, please go to ratethispodcast.com/tamar t-a-m-a-r and write your review. Thank you so much. Thank you all again for tuning in. This is your host Tamar Weinberg of the Common Sense Podcast. Till next time.